You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Today, we are talking about very personal and sensitive topic, which is what we call overcoming obstacles. And we are, in this Y episode, explaining you why we wanted to talk about that and what we mean by overcoming obstacles. So that was actually an episode that, Megan, you had the idea to do it. And can you, can you tell us like how this came up for you and why it was important for you to talk about it? Yeah. So I think, I think first, I think we have to explain explain more or less what we mean by overcoming obstacles before we go into why we pick this topic. Um, and I think I'm going to have you kind of interject here because um, I think you've done a lot of really nice research on, on the subject. So, and then we'll, and then we can go into more of the why. Basically what we mean by overcoming obstacles is things out of your control, like something physical or something emotional that potentially affects you as you're doing science and as you're doing your PhD. This could range from things like having dyslexia, which we'll talk about later, or even emotional obstacles like personal interactions with people in your life and that having an effect on your PhD or having a physical disability like not being able to walk, that sort of thing. Before I go into why this is kind of personal for both me and Lore, I wanted Lore to just take a second and talk about some of the terminology Technology we're going to be using. Laura, can you take it away? Yeah, so it's really not easy. I've been trying, as Megan said, to do some homework. So I've been going on YouTube. I've been listening interview people with a disability talking about it because I didn't really want to insult anybody by calling it by a name or describing as something that the community would be mad at us because it's really not the point of this podcast. It's really to invite everybody, any aspects of their own life and bringing to the light and sharing that to the scientific community. So what we are meaning today with overcoming obstacles, uh, it's uh, more about a visible or invisible form of disabilities. Why we decided to pick this topic for me, it was because when I've been researching about it, it's apparently one person out of five have at least a certain form of disability, which makes a lot of people on this earth with a disability, but still like doing their job. And, and following their passion as science. So that was the case of our interviewers. And one thing that I'd like to just add to this, it's one in five documented disabilities. Yeah. And there are also some cases of undocumented disabilities that will not be present in that statistic. Yeah, because I think not everybody might be realizing that they have a certain form of disability. They develop so many defense mechanisms about uh, coping them and just going on with their life. But if some Sometimes along the way, they might realize, wait a second, I felt very strongly about this or that. And I never realized that it was actually a certain form of disability. And I've been living all, living all my life with that and developing so many, so many mechanisms. So it was my story, but I will let you know a little bit about later. So, so yeah, as you say, one out of five people with a disability, visible, invisible. So we have in the invisible form, for example, a PTSD. So if you have PTSD, 
it's not written on you there is no physical attributes and you just look like everybody else but then as you're doing your job it might be very difficult for you to to go in conferences to i don't know be surrounded by a lot of people or things like that and just that makes very uh, difficult to just do your job and your scientific job well the visible disabilities you could have you could you could have like uh, it's like the case of one of our interviewers he, he was born with um, muscles that were not fully developed in his extremities first so his legs and his arms and so all his life he had to use crutches and braces to be able to walk he would walk maybe slower than somebody else but at the end he would be able to go to a point to another like everybody so mm-hmm. that's more for us what we define as a visible disability that was really well said laura thank you for categorizing what we mean when we're going through this topic so again we're going through why we picked this topic and uh, why we want to talk about it in re- in reference to graduate school so i think we've covered how many series before this five series it's i think it's our fifth this one this is our fifth series we've covered four series before this one all of which we've detailed some of the ups and downs and native obstacles to doing grad school grad school itself is a difficult time for any student and we've especially covered things like imposter syndrome and also the qual and basically we wanted to question people who have disabilities on what their experience is doing something that's already difficult, like grad school and like doing science, and how that impacts their lives. Actually, for me, it was when I interviewed Mina Bissell. And she told me about her accident and how it impaired her abilities to learn. And yeah. I was like, oh, that's so interesting because definitely it was very difficult for her and it really added challenges along the way for... Can, to- Laura, can you remind me of what what happened to Mina Bissell after her accident? So, so yeah, so she, before her accident, she had a photographic memory. The, she was really gifted as a girl, at least that was her, everybody around her was very amazed by her. And then she had this accident at eight years old, something like that. And because it was a, a long time ago, we didn't really go to the hospital and treat for like, how you call when you, hemorrhage, like intern hemorrhage, even if it's like in your brain. But she believed today that it's basically what might have happened. And so it impaired her, all of her, her right body and make her kind of like numb. So she would have uh, difficulties physically, but also she lost her photographic memory or a big chunk out of it and also she will be completely disoriented she will not be able to find her way back home she will constantly need assistance for that because if you put her in the city she will be just completely lost and not even giving her a map or whatever will not help her and she will not be able to remember names of people or their faces and etc and I think on a day-to-day basis to like do your science it must be very challenges when you go to conference and you probably like you read papers about things but you can't remember the names and so when you want to talk and do some small talks, that must be very difficult to be like, this name rings a bell, but not being able to like attach it to something. And most of it for her learning the new languages was very, very difficult. Learning English, she said that it was excruciating. So yeah, that was what happened to her. And since I interviewed her about that, and it was not the main topic of, of the series, that was uh, actually conference in travel. Yeah. And I was like, oh, that's interesting. I wonder how many other people 
people who have a disability and we like to share about it because it's definitely something that could be very inspiring to listen their story and and see that no matter what they follow through and they are doing science and they are very excited about their work. I think just to add to that for me I think one of the things that made this topic important was because I think it is possible I'm not saying that I necessarily know one way or another but it is possible that there are people out there who are maybe even deterred from entering into science because they have a disability like let's say a learning disability and I think that maybe there are all of these outside parameters that deter them from doing science and I guess I was hoping that maybe by interviewing people who have had to overcome their own obstacles, either learning disabilities or physical disabilities, that maybe that could also help people who maybe didn't even consider that a scientific career was an option for them to consider it and to say like, yeah, maybe I can overcome this too. I know that that has a lot to do with my own personal story, but I'll we'll no, yeah, can you? I think it's a good moment for us to, good, to, good to, time to, to, to hear you. It. Yeah. So basically, like my own personal story is that I want to start with, I have wanted to do science since I was like a preteen. And I don't even think I really knew what science was. I was a a really good math student and terrible in everything else. But I just like somehow got this idea that like I was going to be a scientist. And I think basically since getting that idea into my head and moving forward, I just have been pushing on and on and on to reach this goal of doing science with many any obstacles in between. The main obstacle being that I have this um, I have this muscle disorder um, in my eyes and it can be corrected with glasses except my vision will never be perfect. So to describe the muscle disorder it's basically like I have one eye that's farsighted and the other that's nearsighted and the one that is farsighted which for people who maybe forget the terminology farsighted means that I can see from far but I can't see up close. The one that's far sighted has a very high prescription, which means that every time I pick up a book and try to read, um, if I read for more than, let's say, 10 minutes, I get these massive headaches and it's incredibly painful. So as a kid, I basically was not able to overcome this at all. And I would basically pretend to read and not actually read. And I could listen really well and um, sort of faked it. And it went pretty much completely unnoticed. And yeah, I think I I got away with it for a really long time of not being able to read. Like I knew how to put letters together and I knew how to read. I just couldn't read for long periods of time, which basically set me further back than all of the other students who were capable of doing it. Did you did you know at that time that this was a form of disability or were you not aware of that? I don't think I was aware of it. I think like it's really hard to say. I think like, again, like no one noticed. So I don't think that I was aware of it only in that like I knew that um, my sister, for example, was a really fast reader and I was incredibly slow. And also that like I would have assignments that were due and I couldn't get through them. And to the point where like if they were due the following day, if I had to read a hundred pages in a day, I would get these headaches and then I wouldn't be able to finish the assignment and I would have to miss the following day of school because it would be so painful. And I've had to like, I've had to miss like even fun events because of this, but yeah, it's not just about missing the exam. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. Anyway, we ended up diagnosing it kind of like right when I was in high school. I got, on a side note, it was misdiagnosed as a lazy eye when I was younger. So I think like the misdiagnosis also caused a bunch of problems later in life for me. Um, but anyway, we kind of figured it out in high school where I was able to actually attribute my disability to something. And basically at that point, I started playing massive catch up. At that point, like I, I realized that I was much, much further behind than everybody in my grade. So like I was on par with them with math and yeah. I could do things like science, but I couldn't couldn't do things like history and I couldn't do English, um, which are all the things that in America you need to get to college. Yeah. Um, and you can't take standardized tests also if you can't get through them. <laughs> anyway, I started playing catch up in high school. I started figuring out ways to read faster. I basically had to teach myself how to read faster. And at first, like, I mean, in high school, I was still like lip reading while I would read the words, I would still use my mouth. But then eventually, like I figured out how to not do that. And I slowly picked up the pace. And now I think my reading level is higher than it was, but it still will never be like, I, I will never be at the rate of my peers. And I think like one of the things that, that has been especially challenging for this is not, it's, I mean, like the rate of reading is bad on its own because in science, and I guess I didn't know this when I picked the career, like there's actually a ton of reading associated with doing science. Like you have to read papers, you have to read, yeah. you have to be up to date on the literature. And, um, and I think that that itself is challenging, but I've managed, I, ma I manage. And the thing that's especially difficult about this obstacle that I have to overcome is not necessarily the reading itself, but it's the confidence. So like probably in hearing me describe the story, I'm comparing myself to my peers. But there is also a lot of like not knowing the personal life of everybody that surrounded you, right. but what's coming up in your head thinking that you're the only one who have this and that makes you feel like very either ashamed or you try to hide it and you're certainly right. not going to talk about it. But I'm sure as soon as you're starting to like speak up about, hey, you know what, I actually have this, then I think we might realize how many more other people have their own overcoming challenges and obstacles and you're not alone. So I guess yeah. that already be a better feeling. And, and then you can also start to trade exercise or tools that you do or you use to like overcome that. And I think that's, yeah, that's the better part is being able yeah. to be like, I'm doing this because that helps me. And then other could be like, oh yeah, that's, that's something that I could consider too. Well, for me, uh, like a big part of it, and it's even difficult right now to talk about it on this recording. I was telling Laura right before we were recording, like, oh, I'm a little bit nervous for this one. And I do think it's important for Laura and I to share our personal stories, why we picked different topics. And this one felt very personal to me and is part of why I wanted to cover this. But I think the big thing for me is that I'm embarrassed about it, that it's, it is kind of embarrassing for me to acknowledge that like for a very long stretch of my life, I I couldn't read. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it's hard for me to talk to, you know, my peers. And, it, and it's just, it's such a long story also <laughs> to like explain it. Um, and it's something that I haven't met anyone with my muscle disorder. I know that there 
are other people out there that have it, but maybe to different degrees. Um, and I don't know that, you know, it affects them in the same way. So I think like one of the things that makes it especially challenging is that, yeah, it's, it's my own anxiety and my own fear. And basically like throughout my science career, I've, I've kind of kept it under wraps, kept it secret, you know. Must um, not help you imposter syndrome as well, right? Yeah, exactly. So basically it feeds into my imposter <laughs> where like every time I think about the other people around me that are doing science, I think, oh, well, I'm never going to be good enough. But I will say that on the, on the positive note, <laughs> um, and, and I think, you know, Laura and I are trying to talk about the positive as we go through these more serious and sensitive subjects. I think like right now as a fourth year PhD and, you know, as I've learned through my time doing a PhD, I, I've learned not to try to compare myself to my colleagues. Basically, I've come to accept that like my rate of learning, my rate of reading is mine. I, I don't need to necessarily compare myself to my colleague who can read 10 papers a day and I can only read one because I'm going at my own pace. For I think maybe today the, the biggest part and it might take a while, but it's being able to get rid of this embarrassing feeling. Yeah. And hopefully, and that's really my hope for the future generations is that we're going to be more aware of those kind of disabilities and we're going to be able to diagnose them early on. Like this instead of like installing this sh- shame feeling into kids that are, have to deal with it like along the way. Well, they would just have like maybe extra time during exams or teacher that would be like trained to uh, help students with those kind of disabilities and make early on uh, good tools for them to develop. So that's my hope for the future with all the new tools that we have and we are developing things to science and mm-hmm. and psychology and everything like that we're going to be able to approach those problems differently and just to add to that my hope is that we kind of eliminate the shame associated yeah but i think i was still kind of a lot during our generation i can already see the coming generation that they we are already much more aware of that while mm-hmm. at our generation that was something like like it was not super well communicated or anything but today with youtube with all of those like channels we we can find information if we want to and so the so the so that's bring to my story the way i discovered that i had a mild dyslexia i really have a mild one but basically i, I can see letters in in 3d and so that doesn't help me for like b and d or q and p because for me they just rotate and they are not on the plan so i i remember as a kid learning how to read and having those letters and my stepmother was pregnant at that time was just showing me her belly and turning around and like you see this is a d and you see this is a v and i promise sure that right now they just the opposite thing <laughs> but and for me she, they didn't even realize at that time that it was even more confusing to me because i was like yeah that's kind of the same <laughs> but then i think my teacher was just very frustrated with me because i i would have like negative points at my dictation and i will not be able to copy past a, a table on my copy without having like i don't know how many mistakes along the way uh because i would just have to do the exercise as fast as my peers and i wouldn't be able to so i would just like rush and 
and make so many mistakes along the way. But I didn't know that I had a disability. I, they, they just told me that I was not paying attention, that I was in the mood and I should just like try to land sometimes on earth to like pay attention <laughs> and things like that. And, and so I started to believe them. I kind of started to believe that, yeah, I was maybe pretty lazy. And then I also realized that later on with mathematical problems, I really like math, but I, I will know how to solve a problem. But along the way, I will just switch letters. And so at the end, I will be like, I don't understand. I'm sure that my method is pretty good. Why I have like such weird results. <laughs> and so for exams, I will go out of exams with like red, red, red so much. I had to focus to like make sure read not once, not twice, not three times, but fifth time to like find out and make sure that along the way, I don't like copy past a line wrongly. Oh my God, that was awful. But when I finally was in undergrad, I was talking with a friend who had her kids with dyslexia and she was telling me, yeah, you know, he has dyslexia, so he's going to have more time for exams and things like that. And I was like, okay, I heard about the name dyslexia. I just never really thought it was what I had. And then I was like, what, uh, what's his dyslexia? And she's trying to explain me that he was seeing letters in 3Ds. And, and I was like, wait a second. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like 19 years old at that time, you know, and I'm finally putting a word into something that's been, I have been struggling on. And I was like, so I was not lazy. I was not. And yeah. And, and one of the things that I would hate would be like when people will like tell me words and I, it will, today I'm getting better at that. I guess it's because I'm, I'm starting to accumulate a lot of reading, but before just knowing the spelling of a word, I would just freeze. I would be like, I think it's like that but I'm not so sure if double L, double P, one P, one L here. One. And in French, we have so much double <laughs> letters in words and that makes it so confusing when sometimes there is two and sometimes there is one. And even my husband who is learning French is asking me for those words. I'm like, oh my God, don't ask me. I don't know. They are silly words. <laughs> so anyway, so for that, yeah, definitely developed a huge shame feeling. But today, just knowing that I actually have this dyslexia and I managed to go through, I I'm trying to like temper myself and not be like stop being so mean with yourself you were not lazy you were just like trying to develop some tools to survive in this jungle but you can be proud of you at the end uh, when you come from so far away and you just uh, as capable as everybody else it just maybe takes a little bit more time and what so so that was more for my story sides of this dyslexia maybe another thing that I had uh, actually that I have is a vitiligo it's a it's a depigmentation of your skin and I developed that when I was 19 is actually autoimmune disorder but people call it like a cosmetic problem because just you have spots white spots come all over your body and I started to have that when I was 18 and that took me a while to accept it because I can tan super well and I've always been very proud of my tan but the problem is that today my tan is really putting the contrast with my spots and my mm-hmm. real color I really learned again how to accept it because there is no cure or no, nothing but I can tell because it's a physical thing so this time people can see it that sometimes they don't realize that when I'm giving them like a copy or something like just pass them and they can see it on my hand 
and they could have a, a moment of surprise, kind of like I have something contagious and, and, and then very quickly I can see that they put themselves together and they pretend that they didn't see anything. And while I would be much open to be like, you know, it's okay, it's actually vitiligo and it's not contagious, it's just this or that and just talk about it very freely. But people kind of like try to be like, I didn't see it and look away around. But at the same time, I can feel that in their head, it's like going like, what is this? Is it like... I think I did that to you. <laughs> I don't remember you doing this to me, but maybe. And so, so that's, it's, again, it's not a physical disability at all, but I can tell when the look of other people can have on you when they mm-hmm. feel that you're sick. So, so. It, it becomes like a social deterrent. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It. but I'm I, again I'm lucky to be in the 21st century where tattoos are so well accepted at least in the Bay Area and and now like people are more like oh that's cool dude you know <laughs> <laughs> you're like okay <laughs> but yeah um, so I wanted to um, to just double back to dyslexia and uh, learning disorders I mean since you mentioned kids and I guess I mentioned it as well growing up with uh, learning disabilities and how the the culture around these things have changed and there's so much awareness. I guess like when we talk about adjusting the culture for being accepting of uh, certain learning disabilities and certain conditions, I wonder if if part of that adjustment for the culture also has to do with alleviating some of the shame associated. Oh yeah, I mean totally. Um, We are not doing this series about uh, overcoming obstacles to bring tolerance. I think we are past that. We are not trying to make us being more tolerated or people that we interview more tolerated. It's we are beyond this. We are all different and we are all our own lives and we should have the freedom to do whatever we want. And in a sense, if we want to do a students career, we should be able to do it and not because your teacher or everybody else will tell you like, that's probably not a good choice for you. Like, look at you. It's so difficult for you or things like that. Yeah. That's, that's not acceptable. I think people should train kids to be like every other kid find whatever you like to do and do it yeah and so I, can I just add to that so I think like I started my story saying that I wanted to do science as a preteen not knowing that it was going to be such a challenge how do I say this? I think like on along the lines of what you're saying, like I knew that I wanted to do it. And because I had this goal of doing science and eventually like having this career and literally nothing was going to stop me. I was going to bulldoze my way through it. That like knowing that I had a lot of obstacles to overcome in order to do it just made me want to push through. Yeah. And, you know, find ways to navigate that space and figure out how to, how to get to where I am now. So I was, not as passionate about you as a kid about science. I just really like to do it. I think for me that was the, the funniest class I, I could have. But overall the other like but the fact that we kind of like treated me as I was lazy. I I think I, I and I in France we treat science as a very noble thing to do and very smart and intelligent people only are doing science and there is really this 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 wrong uh, <laughs> mindset about it. But nevertheless, I think that just wanted me to do it even more because I I felt that it wasn't fair to be treated this way and I wanted to show them that they were wrong. <laughs> 
you know, if you want to have a career in science and if you and if you have an obstacle to overcome, there are ways to overcome it and still be passionate about your career and still enjoy doing science. And it's it's it shouldn't be a mental deterrent. Keep pushing forward. You'll find creative ways, creative solutions. The people that we're talking to in the upcoming series have all found creative ways to get through their degrees. Yeah. Um, and to do science. And I think if you are a person who is considering doing science and has an obstacle to overcome, or if you're in the middle of doing science and you have an obstacle to overcome, just keep thinking about creative ways, creative solutions to... Yeah. And not feel ashamed about anything. Like, yeah. those, those negative feelings could only, like, slow you down. Yeah. Just, like, keep your rage. <laughs> don't <laughs> don't be your imposter. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't feed your imposter and, and, and chase, your, chase your dream and don't hesitate to dream big. There is no reason why you shouldn't be able to dream big because you're any different. Thanks for listening to Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Next week, we continue our series on overcoming obstacles with recent graduate Catherine Seton, who will tell Laura about her experience with chronic fatigue. If you like this episode, give us a thumbs up and share us with your friends. Bye!